Hello, and welcome to the One Church podcast. This message was recorded for our online service. We're not meeting at our church buildings at the moment, so tune in live this Sunday for our next online service by going to weareone.church or finding us on Facebook. Hey, my name's Pastor Mike. So excited today to share part three of our series, We the People, with you. Uh, it was began really well by Pastor John Jarvis from One Church Gloucester and followed up last week by Pastor Chris Williams from One Church Cainsham. They built this idea that, hey, we're a people and uh, not just individuals, we're a people and that's what makes us special. It gives us purpose and meaning. The early church came together in a really radical, dynamic way and Chris preached well about that last week. Today I want to build on that idea. We are a people and it is brilliant when we come together. But there's one thing that makes togetherness possible. There's one thing that makes a people possible. And that one thing is commitment. And I want to talk to you today about commitment. I want to talk to you today about how our commitment to Jesus Christ and to each other makes togetherness in the church possible. It makes unity possible. In fact, without commitment or with shallow commitment, superficial commitment, togetherness is never really going to be attained and achieved in the dynamic and radical way we saw in the New Testament. What really makes togetherness tick, what really causes a church to fly, what really is kind of the bedrock of togetherness is this idea of commitment. Commitment to each other, yes, but really that at the core of it is our own personal, individual commitment to Jesus Christ. Because out of that commitment flows everything else. In Psalm chapter 122, verse 1, it says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is the psalmist David. David, uh, clearly some people have come to David and said, hey David, we're going to the house of the Lord. Why don't you come with us? And David's response is, yes, come on. He rejoices at that idea. There could have been a number of responses David could have made. He could have said, actually, I've got this thing on, you know, I'm a king and uh, quite busy. He, he could have responded by saying, ah, not today. I'm kind of, you know, I'm a bit tired. He could, have, he could have given a number of responses, but his response was, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. His heart was in it. His heart was in it. If you could describe commitment, that would be it, wouldn't it? A heart fully in it. I want to ask you today, I want to challenge you today. Is your heart fully in it? Is your heart fully behind Jesus Christ? Is your heart fully in his church? I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's two words in there that really stood out to me. Let us. Let us is a theme, actually, in the Bible. Uh, there are at least 12 let us's in the uh, Psalms. There are over 50 times where let us is said in the New Testament. If you were to just do a study on all the let us's in the Bible, it would take you, I don't know, quite a long time. Uh, so, so let us is a bit of a theme in the Bible. Here's a couple of other examples. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. There's two more from the Psalms there, but the idea is, come on, let us do this supernatural thing together. Let us shout, let us sing, let us act, let us go, let us join together. And the response wholeheartedly each time is, yes, they rejoiced at the let us that was given. You see, let us is like the language of leadership. You're frequently going to hear leaders saying, come on, let us do this together. Maybe it's a small thing like, hey, let us turn up a little earlier for church so that we can kind of welcome people and create an environment for people to walk into. Maybe your leaders are saying, hey, come on, let us get together to pray for a specific season because we really need a breakthrough. Maybe it's something bigger than that. Maybe Pastor Simon has said, hey, come on, let us go and plant a church together. Or, hey, let us go on mission somewhere in the world together. We're going to say and are saying let us a lot in church because it's the language of leadership. And the language of leadership assumes that the people we're speaking to have a commitment to Jesus Christ and to each other such that the majority will respond by saying that sounds amazing. You know, we're hoping for that response anyway, that there's a, a rejoicing that takes place when we say, let us. Our, our heart and our desire is to create that dynamic of rejoicing at new adventures that we go on as a church and old as well. Of course, that's not always the case, is it? Like in life, uh, it's certainly not the case in church leadership that every time we say let us, everyone says, yeah. Um, quite often it's the case that, that, that people are str struggle with some of the things I have said, at least. Let us do this too. Now, there are a number of reasons for that, and, and, and I don't claim to have all the answers this morning, but I think there are some kind of broad strokes that we can talk about that may challenge commitment in the church. There are some it, things we have to look at that, that are trying, I think, to erode a sense of commitment to Jesus Christ and his church. So we have to be really on guard against. I, I don't want one church to go down this road. I don't, want, I don't want to go down this road. And so it's worth us just looking at like what things are out there, what ideas are out there that erode a sense of commitment to our togetherness. A person that's really helped me on this is a guy called Peter Berger. Peter Berger is a sociologist and a theologian. And Peter Berger wrote a book in the 70s. It's not a new book, um, but he, it's called The Homeless Mind. <clears throat> and in it, Peter Berger makes this observation as a sociologist. He makes this observation. He says the difference between the modern Western mind and every other part of the world and previous generations is commitment. That's what differentiates thinking today from thinking before and other parts of the world. Here's a direct quote from his book. He says, the modern mind is distinguished by this. To the modern person, our own needs and our own fulfillment are more real to us than any other obligation. Wow. 
Just think about that for a moment. What Peter Berger is saying is this, the, the, the thing that's different, the thing that separates the modern Western mind, our society, our culture from every other culture and previous generations is, is, a, is a commitment problem. We are more committed now than ever to our own fulfillment than any other obligation. That's what he's saying. He goes on to point out a tremendous shift in culture in his book. He talks about this kind of shift in culture uh, over the last 50 or so years. He says, like previously, the culture in society, in Western society, was one of honour. But that has been replaced recently by a culture of personal dignity. Uh, now, let me explain both of those to you. By honour, he means that there was a time when, as a culture, we, we sort of understood that there was a higher calling. There was an idea of a duty to something bigger than ourselves. It would be an honour to almost forego personal comforts if it meant achieving a role or responsibility that benefited the, the society as a whole more. He would use the example of the Second World War and a bunch of young men that, that kind of left behind comfort lives left behind families and went out of honour and duty to uh, set Europe free from the tyranny of Nazism. That was possible because there was broadly a culture of honour that understood the need for something bigger, the, the idea that we had a duty to something bigger than ourselves. But what Peter Berger points out is that that culture of honour has really been replaced. That culture of honour has been replaced by a culture of personal dignity. See if this rings a bell with you. He described it as this, that the current culture believes I have a right to happiness and fulfilling my needs. And if anybody says no, or that there's something more, or that I need to forego those needs and forego those desires and forego that happiness, I am now being oppressed. Now, Peter Berger points out that this idea, this per idea of personal dignity, has really shifted in Western uh, society, and that's now dominating the idea, the, the culture underneath everything. Now, let's just pause on that for a moment and think about it. How does that culture of personal dignity line up with Christianity? The answer is, it doesn't. In fact, it's on like a head-on collision with the culture of the kingdom of God that calls us to live for a cause greater than our own happiness and our own fulfilment. In fact, the Christian call is to live a life of self-sacrifice, self-denial, to put down self and live for something greater, to live for others, to live for a greater cause than self-fulfillment. You see, the two cultures don't, they don't harmonise. If we bring the culture of personal dignity across into the church, it will erode commitment to the call of Christ. And it will cause, this is what it will cause, when we say let us, the response won't be, yeah, let, let's do that together. The response will be actually, you know what, I've got this thing on and um, hey, I've got to look after me at the moment. And hey, I've, I've just not got the time. I've got to... 
Sometimes those reasons may be valid, but I, I actually think a lot of the time what, what's happening is that our culture of honor and commitment to something greater has been eroded by this cultural influence in the society around us. It doesn't fit with Christianity. Jesus still calls us to come and carry our crosses. Jesus still calls us to lay down some of that stuff and to live for something bigger, to live beyond ourselves. We have a saying in one church, in fact, it kind of is, represents our heart and the heart of our leaders, to live big. That means live for something bigger than uh, just our own fulfilment, our own happiness, our own rights. Sometimes as a church, we're going to say, let us. And we're hoping that there's the commitment to Jesus Christ and his call. That means that whatever it is you've got on and whatever your stuff is, you're going to try and rearrange that and order that and, and maybe even put that down for something bigger. We're hoping that you're going to hear the voice of Jesus and the voice of God saying, come on, this is one of those times where we've got to go for something bigger than what we're currently doing on our own. You you just, if you've been around Christianity for more than five minutes, you're going to see it in scripture. You can't just sample Jesus and you can't just sample the church. That's not really afforded to us in the New Testament. The call is to put our whole heart into this, our whole heart into following Jesus, whatever the cost, our whole heart into serving the church and, and being part of a people. But that relies on commitment. Have you resolved commitment? Have you resolved to commit to Jesus Christ? Have you resolved that issue? When you think about it, do you have a culture that, of honour like the kingdom of God? Or, or perhaps have you allowed the culture of this day to seep in, this culture of personal dignity? And that's maybe slipped in somewhere along the line. I'm calling you back to the cross. I'm calling you back to that place where you first said yes to Jesus and say yes to Jesus again. Resolve within yourself to commit to him and do everything you can to order your life well, balance your life well, look after yourself well. But remember at the heart of the gospel is this call to lay down our lives and to sacrifice and to carry the cross. And that that is not oppression, but that is the route to purpose and meaning and to really play your part in God's kingdom. It's the best cause you could ever possibly live for. I want to pray for you today, every location. I want to pray for Podsmead. I want to pray for Cainsham, Bristol, Gloucester, Zimbabwe. If you're watching today, that your churches, our locations would be so together in our commitment to Jesus Christ and each other. That when that pastor says, let us, there's a resounding yes coming from the congregation. I rejoiced when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I want to pray for your location that because of that togetherness, a spiritual dynamic is released and the blessing of God is on the unity that you have. I want to pray for you as well if you're new to church and maybe you're watching this for the first or second or third time and you're saying, I'm not even sure I've resolved this idea of being committed to Jesus. Like maybe you believe in him, but you've yet to say yes to him. Today could be that day. Today could be the day where you say yes to Jesus, who said yes to coming from heaven to earth to reach out to you, to remove every obstacle, to clear away our shame and to give us 
a relationship, a restored relationship with him again. Maybe it's time to say, finally, yes to Jesus Christ. Come on, let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, for everyone watching this message this morning, may they be resolved again to be committed to Jesus Christ. May they be, even for the first time, committing to him right now as I'm praying this prayer. I pray your blessing upon each of our locations, that there would be a togetherness, so that when we say let us, there's a resounding yes, there's a rejoicing rather than a sense of oppression. There's a yes that comes with the call to go to the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See, we are one next week. I want to say to you, let us get together next week, for we are one. Can I hear you say it? I rejoiced when he said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. See you there.